Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Uh, at first glance, when you look at verse 18, it may, may appear that verse 18 is, is a new sentence. However, verse 18 uh, is exactly or a continuation of the same thought that he had in verses 17 through, or excuse me, verses 10 through 17. Verses 18 through 20 continue this idea that Christians, the church, were in a war. Remember we talked about that last week, how the Christian life, we are in a war. We're to put on the armor of God. We're in this battle. We're in a battle against a very real enemy. And verses 18 through 20 bring us to the conclusion. So we have this, take take the armor, put it on, and now he says, pray at all times. Now you might treat this something about prayer like, uh, so many other statements about prayer. Prayer seems for most people to be something of an option. Paul is telling us that prayer is the means by which we call on God to help us in this war. Prayer is how we communicate with God in the battle. John Piper says it this way, We cannot know what prayer is for until we know that life is war. That's not all it is, but it certainly is that. Our weakness in prayer is owing largely to our neglect of this truth. Prayer is primarily a walkie-talkie, a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. It's not surprising that prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the den. God has given prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. If you're looking at your handout there, the main idea is the same one we had last week. This is a continuation here. How we stand firm against the enemy and how we advance the gospel in the midst of opposition. And the thing we need to take away from this is if we are to stand firm against our enemy and advance the gospel, we must. We have to be people of prayer. It is not an option, church. Prayer is not an option for us individually or for us as a church. So if you're looking at verses 18 through 20, we stand firm. You have one point with two sub-points here. Stand firm by being devoted to prayer. Stand firm by being devoted to prayer. Notice what he says. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So you have prayer here is comprehensive. Pray comprehensively. Did you catch the alls in verse 18? There are four of them. Paul says pray at all times. How often should I pray? It's the frequency of prayer. All means what, church? All. Pray at all times. It means exactly what it says. This is one of those things in Scripture that's not hard to understand. Um, Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verse 36, don't turn to these, just maybe write them down and read later on. Luke 21, 36, watch and pray always. The first apostles said in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer. In Acts chapter 10, we read of a man named Cornelius. It says he prayed to God always. Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Continue steadfast in prayer. Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. 
In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we probably know this one. Pray without yes, ceasing. Paul did that. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Without ceasing, I have remembrance of you in my prayers day and night. Now this idea of prayer here, we need to understand it moves us away from just some recited prayer. We're talking about a life pattern of prayer. Our life being patterned in prayer. We're talking about a consciousness of God's presence at all times that leaves your heart open to Him fully all the time. That's what this is about. Praying at all times. Notice there, Paul says, pray at all times, and he even tells you how to do that. In the Spirit. Now, this is not referring to speaking in tongues, and I'll just kind of leave it at that, but that's not what it's talking about. This has to be understood in light of the context of the whole chapter here, as well as the whole letter. Praying in the Spirit is to pray dependent on the Spirit. That's what that means. I'm praying, and I'm dependent upon the Spirit in my praying in accordance with God's Word. Never separate those two. I pray in the Spirit and in accordance with God's Word. You cannot pray in the Spirit if you have unconfessed sin in your life. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I cherish iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. It doesn't mean the Lord can't hear you, but He chooses not to hear you when you regard or cherish iniquity in your heart. We can't play games thinking we can disobey God and then come and sweet talk Him into giving us what we want. Husbands, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says that if you don't treat your wives properly, honoring them as fellow heirs of the grace of life, your prayers will be hindered. How many of you want your prayers hindered? I see some people shaking their head. No, man, we don't want that. Praying in the Spirit is to pray according to God's will as it's revealed in His Word. The Spirit will never lead a believer to pray contrary to the will of God as it's revealed in His Word. You cannot pray in the Spirit, Lord, bless when your life is contrary to the Word of God. You must pray at all times and it must be in the Spirit. Walking with God, a heart open to God all the time in accordance with God's Word, praying and that means. Here's what that means for you as a Christian. Here's how you apply that. It means to be so God-conscious that you see and experience everything with reference to Him. You see and experience everything in life with reference to God. How much? Everything. You see all events in life as related to God. There's no event that comes in your life that's unrelated to God. God is the filter through which everything in your life passes. If you see something good, what is your response to that? Thanksgiving and praise to God in prayer. If you see evil, you see sin, what's your response? You ask Him to make that right and you pray for that sinner. You sin, you confess it. You grieve that God is dishonored. You ask God to defend Himself and bring righteousness where there is only sin. You see people suffering, you ask that God would be honored in the suffering, and yes, bring relief that will glorify His name. Exactly what we pray for this morning. Bring relief to those people, but glorify Your name by taking them the gospel. It's not just having this prescribed prayer time, and I'm all about having a prescribed prayer time because I have one. I have a, a discipline where I pray at a certain time every morning. I pray for certain things every day along my week. That's certainly part of it, but it's much more than that. 
is that every single thing in your life, you're talking to God about it. Everything, right? Everything that's going on. Paul said, pray at all times in the Spirit in accordance with the Word of God. All times. Nothing gets a pass. But notice there, he says, the second all, with all prayer and supplication. Some of you have translation, you use the word petition. Paul, if you read the New Testament carefully, he often links these two words, prayer and supplication. And most commentators feel that there's not a distinction between the two. Except that prayer is possibly more general, whereas supplication may refer to prayer for particular needs. I'm praying for somebody in general, but then I pray what? Specific needs for that person's life. In verses 18 through 20, you notice that Paul piles up these synonyms for prayer. He actually uses the word supplication twice, along with the word praying, to call attention to the priority of prayer and, and, and the warfare and the battle we're in. Also, the fact that there are different kinds of prayer that we're to use in that battle. Uh, most of us are familiar with this passage of Scripture Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, right? Probably memorized that as a kid, right? I think it gives us a, a helpful outline of the different kinds of prayers that we pray. You want to know how the different kinds of prayers to pray? This is, this is what you go to. This is what you learn from. You remember what happens there in Matthew chapter 6? The disciples come to Jesus and what do they ask Him? Teach us to pray, right? Teach us to pray, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't say, pray these words... He says, pray for these things. Now, there's nothing wrong with memorizing the Lord's Prayer because it actually guides us in how we pray. But just praying this prayer is not what Jesus meant. He didn't mean pray these words. He said, pray for these things. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. This points us toward worship as we pray for God's glory. We pray, hallowed be your name. God, honor your name in this world. How's God going to honor His name in this world? By saving sinners through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, hallowed be your name, Father. Points to worship of Jesus. In verse 10 it says, your kingdom come, your will be done. This points us to prayer for missions, evangelism, and discipleship. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What's God's will in this world? That we go and make disciples. That we go tell people about Jesus and we teach him, them to follow Him. Your kingdom come, God. Then verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. What is that a prayer for? Personal needs. Nothing wrong with that, right? Verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. This is a confession of sin and a prayer for our relationships. You see how Jesus is walking us through how we pray in our lives? Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Confess your sins and pray for your relationships with people. Verse 13, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a prayer for holiness. I don't know about you, but I have to pray this prayer quite often during the day. God, help me. God, help me to be holy. But it's also a prayer for others to be holy as well. Paul's point in Ephesians 6 is that we fight against the enemy when we use all types of prayer. All types of prayer. And how often are we praying? All the time. So what's the application here? I think it's quite simple. Pray all the time with all kinds of prayer. 
Pray all the time with all kinds of prayers. Use Matthew 6 as a guideline for praying with all kinds of prayer all the time. Don't miss this. This is part of your armor in the war against your enemy. This is part of your protection. This is what allows you to defeat the schemes of the evil one. (coughs) Verse 18. Notice it says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Don't miss what this is saying here. To this end, for this purpose, the purpose of praying at all times, Paul says, is to what? Keep alert. To be committed to praying at all times, a Christian must what? You've got to stay alert. Keep alert means to be awake and to be observant. Be focused. Be vigilant. Be alert to your surroundings. Keep alert ties in with the, this uh, military analogy that Paul gave us. If you're a soldier on guard, you dare not fall asleep, right? Because it will not be good for you if you fall asleep on the watch. You must watch for any signs of the enemy infiltrating and you go immediately to prayer. You're watching. You're, you're keeping alert. So what might that look like? Well, when you see someone suffering, who's seen somebody suffering lately? When you see someone suffering, you pray that Satan might not get their eyes off the Lord and devour them in that trial. That's what you pray for. God help them. Man, they're suffering. They're going through a, they're going through a fire. God help them not to get their eyes off of you and be devoured by this trial. When you see someone who's depressed or discouraged, pray that he or she will put their trust in God and His salvation. You ever seen somebody get discouraged or depressed? Praying at all times. When you see a husband and wife who are having conflict, you pray. When you hear of church members at odds with one another, you pray. When you hear that the church members are caught in sin, you pray. Be alert and pray. What, what, what is Paul saying by being alert? You need to be looking. You need to be observing what's going on around you as a Christian. We've we got to quit being ostrich Christians. You know what that is, right? Head in the sand. I'm taking care of me, myself, and I. No, we've got to be alert. Because we don't want our brothers and sisters stumbling and falling, right? We need to be alert to their lives. We need to be watching them and praying for them, interceding for them, going to God on their behalf. Next verse 18 says, Keep alert with all perseverance. The idea is there is serious, intense commitment. It means to devote yourself constantly to prayer. You don't give up when you don't see immediate results. You've heard the stories of how people pray for years and years and years for somebody to get saved, and then 30 years down the road they get saved, right? You don't give up when you don't see immediate results. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, Jesus told a parable. Most of you are familiar with this. He told a parable of a widow who kept coming to this judge who was hard-hearted, and she just kept pestering him, right? She just kept coming. She just kept coming to him until finally, what did he do? Man, just give her what she wants. I've had all I can take. Just, just get rid of her. And then Jesus goes along to assure us that God's not uncaring like this unrighteous judge. But in verse 8, Jesus says that God will bring about justice speedily for His elect who cry out to Him. Now you've got to keep in mind that God answering speedily has to be interpreted in His time frame and not ours, right? And Jesus' reason for telling that parable was this, to show that at all times we ought to pray and not 
lose heart. Don't give up. Pray it all the time. Here's what we've got to understand about prayer. A lot of times we think prayer is us praying and we're going to twist God's arm to get Him to do something that He does not want to do. That's what we think of prayer a lot of times. You know what I've come to understand about prayer? Prayer is dependence on God. That's what that is. I'm praying and I'm saying, God, I can't do it. If you don't do it, it's not going to get done. And if God wants all the glory for Himself, you think He appreciates that kind of prayer? Absolutely. That's what He wants to hear from you. Verse 18. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for how many of the saints? All of them. I think we, we first phase of that is those within the body of Christ here at Red Blood Baptist Church. Then believers you may work with and believers in, in the community around you. You're praying for all saints. These prayers will be offered for all the saints. Pray at all times. Pray all kinds of prayers. Be alert. Watching at all times so you don't miss anything. And the indirect object here is all the saints. But the direct object... It's God and His glory. You pray for the saints so that they will have something worked in their life by God so the glory gets pointed back to Him. For all the saints, all the time. How do we apply that? You Christian are not only to think of your own conflict, but that of the whole body. You're to think of everybody in here that you call a brother and sister in Christ that make up this fellowship. You're to be concerned with everybody's life, including your own. You're not to be concerned only with your issues, but those of the whole body. You say, well, I thought that was your job. Well, it is, but according to Paul, it's whose job? Remember, he said, equip the saints for what? The work of the ministry? That's all of our jobs. Let me ask you this. If you're on the battlefield and your fellow soldier who's there to help you through the battle gets shot, you're in trouble, right? That, that companion, he's gone down. The point is this. We're not Christians in isolation, but in fellowship with the entire church. If one member hurts, the whole body hurts. You hear what I said? If, if one person hurts, the whole body hurts. We, we should never say, I don't have time for that. Somebody else will take care of that. That gives a whole new meaning to be a church member, does it not? When you come, when you join, you say, I'm signing up. Everybody's my concern. I'm going to pray at all times for everybody. I'm going to be alert. Also, praying for your fellow soldiers in the battle will motivate you to love them and work out conflicts. Here's what I've come to learn. It's difficult to pray for someone and still be at odds with them. It is. Pick up a church directory. How many of you have one of those? You got one? Pick up a church directory and work your way through it praying for each person in that directory. Not every day. Go through there alphabetically. That's what I've done. Mondays, I start at A. I pray through six, seven of those families. Tuesday, I just keep going. And I just keep rotating through those things over and over and over again. And tell that person, I'm praying for you. And ask them, I'm praying for you. Tell me something that you want to share with me that I can take to the Lord on your behalf. Now let me ask you this. How many of you would really appreciate somebody walking up to you at church and saying, Hey brother, I'm praying for you this week. You're on my list right here. What can I pray for you for? 
I'd like that, right? Man, I would. I sure would. Not only do we pray comprehensively, but we to pray for gospel boldness. Verses 19 through 20. Paul says, And also for me, that words may be given to me, and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul asks prayer for himself now. The greatest theologian, missionary that the world has ever known, aside from Jesus, is asking for what? Prayer. Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament, and he's asking for prayer. I don't know about you, but that catches my attention. That encourages me as a Christian. Paul knows that he needs the church to what? Pray for him. Now let me ask you something. If Paul needs the church to pray for them, you need the church to pray for you. What is he asking the church to pray for? He's asking for prayer that he would have opportunities to do what? Proclaim the gospel and boldness and freedom to make it plain. Notice what he says. That words... Excuse me, may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Notice something here that words are necessary for sharing the gospel. How do I know that? Paul says, opening my mouth. We live godly and then we open our mouths. And because we've lived godly, people will hear what we say. Living with boldness, living holy lives in the community, living holy at work, among families necessary for gaining an audience to share Jesus, but it also requires that you open your mouth. But also, this tells us something here. This tells us about the urgency of prayer for ministry. Paul makes this request because there's an urgency about his ministry that requires urgency in prayer. And so there's urgency in his request for prayer from the congregation. Urgency. Paul said there's an urgent need here. Prayer must happen. As a way of application, let me ask you this. Do you have a view toward urgency for the gospel? Do you? Do you have an urgency that there's 157 million people in Bangladesh that are unreached for the gospel? Do you pray, God, raise up laborers? And by the way, that's what He said for us to do because He's the Lord of the harvest. If you pray to me, I'll raise them up, I'll send them. I don't know about you, but that that sounds good to me. If I pray, God will send them. Do you have a view toward the urgency for the gospel? Is there urgency toward the gospel that causes you to pray for the gospel to advance? We can't have this idea, well, God's going to do what God's going to do. How's God going to do what God's going to do? Through your prayers. He says, you pray and I will send people. Do you pray for others to open their mouths and share Jesus? Do you pray for yourself? Do you pray for opportunities to share Jesus? When I go through that prayer list, I know where you work. You know what I do? I pray. God, the Holy Spirit today, give Lee Randy opportunity to share the gospel. Give him boldness to open his mouth. There's somebody that needs Jesus. I pray the same thing for all the rest of you. Wherever you work, I pray for you to be a witness. I pray for God to give you influence in that place when you're going. Do you pray that for other people? How many of you would love to go to work and just be able to share the gospel knowing that there was 87 to 100 people praying for you? 
Man, I'd get up that morning. I'm like, I'm going today. I'm going to share the gospel. Do you pray for your pastor to open his mouth boldly to share Jesus and boldly stand on God's Word no matter the cost? Do you pray for that? Let me tell you how to pray. I think I shared this with you maybe a couple of sermons ago. OWC. OWC. This is not original to me. I read a book by one of the professors at the seminary. He wrote a book called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. I've been reading that book. Here's what he says. You pray for opportunities to share the gospel. God give them to me. And then you go looking for them and you ask God to give you wisdom to be able to see them when they come. Opportunities, then God wisdom to see them and then you pray for courage to open your mouth. Is that what Paul is praying for here? Absolutely. Pray. Urgency. God, give me opportunities. God, give me wisdom. God, give me courage. When you read through the book of Acts, you don't get the idea that Paul was lacking boldness. In fact, he was in prison because he had boldly proclaimed the gospel and they were attempting to kill him. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 29... You see that Paul suffered greatly for the sake of the gospel. And it seems like nothing could stop Paul. So why was he asking prayer for boldness and witness? Why was he doing that? Look at verse 20. For which I'm an ambassador in chains. Where was Paul at when he wrote the book of Ephesians? Prison. Chained to Roman guards. How about the guards in the prison that he was chained to? They said the guards stood in that time, you know, who knows for sure, four to six hour watch, and so every four to six hours a new guard would come. Paul would share the gospel, every one of them. How long do you think it took before them guards began to talk about, hey, if you get chained to Paul, you just better be ready. He's going to talk about Jesus. You just might as well get ready. And by the way, it's probably where Paul got the idea for this armor thing. He's talking about verses 10 through 17. He was chained to one of them soldiers. He was looking at all that equipment. He's like, hey, this is what we do. Paul was asking prayer that he would speak the gospel to these soldiers. Also, Paul was there to do what? He was on trial. He was going to go before Caesar, right? (coughs) Caesar would either set him free or condemn him. Do you think there might have been a strong temptation on Paul's part to be careful around Caesar and kind of be meek and mild because I want to keep my head? Would that enter your mind? Yeah, I need to be careful around Caesar. Who knows what's going on? Paul wanted to proclaim the gospel boldly and clearly to Caesar, so he asked for prayer. Now here's, my, here's a question I have for you. How many of you believe that the Bible says that the unsaved will go to hell? How many of you believe that? That's what the Bible says, right? We must understand that prayer is crucial to the gospel going forward. What's more important than the gospel going forward? What's more important than that? Is the gospel, the question is, is the gospel advancing, is that important to you? Is it important enough that you would give up some time to pray for yourself, for missionaries and church members to be fearless and uncompromising when it comes to the gospel? Is it urgent enough? Is it important enough for you to give up some time to pray for that? Let me ask you this. What if we as a church corporately set our hearts 
and our minds to pray together for the advance of the gospel, what might God do? You might say, well, God can answer two or three people's prayers. Well, sure He can. But what do you think if a corporate body got their focus on it and we prayed corporately, we set our hearts and minds to do that? What do you think God might do? It's amazing that Paul didn't ask for prayer that he would be released from prison. Or, uh, give me good health. I got this hang now, these chains. Man, they're just rubbing my wrist, my ankles raw. I need some, just pray for that. What's Paul praying for? Gospel. Go forward. He wasn't praying to get out. He'd asked that he would proclaim the gospel boldly and not miss the opportunities. Don't misunderstand. It's all right to pray for personal needs. Absolutely. Paul's example here, as well as the Lord's Prayer, teaches us that our primary focus in prayer should be for the furthering the kingdom of God. Look at verse 20 again. That I should declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Notice the word ought there. It implies an obligation. It's necessary. It's a divine appointment given to every believer. God requires sharing the gospel and doing so by opening mouths boldly and without compromise. It also refers to clarity in communicating the gospel. It refers to courage in communicating the gospel. Paul says that we should share the good news with clarity and courage. Now let me ask you a question. How many of you think Satan will do everything in the world to keep us from doing that? So what does Paul say? Pray. Satan does not want us to have the right words or to be bold in the face of conflict. Evangelism, sharing the gospel, is spiritual warfare. Our culture opposes it, and for these reasons, we need God's power to do it faithfully. That's what we pray for. And let me say this if you have opportunity to share the gospel, here's what a lot of us are fearful that we're going to say the wrong thing or not say enough, right? If you know you've been redeemed by the blood of Christ and you've turned from your sin, you've put your faith in Jesus and here's what Jesus has done in your life, that's what you share with them people. Here's what I tell people all the time. They may argue with you about the purpose of something in the Bible doctrinally, but listen, nobody can argue with your own personal story because that's your story. They can't deny that. If you say, that's all I know, then that's what you tell them. And here's what I can assure you, God will honor that. God may just work in that person's life in this story to bring them the faith in Christ. Verses 18 through 20 make it clear that in order to appropriate God's armor so we can stand in the war, it requires a life that is dependent on God through prayer. Only then can we stay alert. Let's pray.